Sean Guyton. I'm the lead pastor at Trailside Church. Thanks for stopping by. I hope that by the end of this message, you feel encouraged, that you feel closer to Christ than you ever did before, and that through its message, you will want to be more like Jesus every single day. Enjoy the message, and thanks for stopping by. major hurricanes in that time. To come, I fear that the whole country will reap the whirlwind. FBI Director Christopher Wray said his agents are investigating about a thousand homegrown terror threats. Father, you're good. God, we thank you that you are in control. And Lord, that even when things don't, don't feel right or they seem off, God, you haven't forgotten us. And you're a God of redemption. You're a God of second chances. You're a God of opportunity. And so I pray this morning as we talk about that, that you would open our hearts, that you would allow us even to bring our skepticism and our anger or our hurt or frustration or confusion, whatever it is that we brought with us today, that we would bring that honestly that you would meet us where we are with that, and that you would bring resolution and hope um, in places of fear and discomfort. Uh, Lord, we love you. Um, we trust you. We thank you. And to your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. 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 So I'm going to be really, we're good? Okay, I'm going to try this again. I apologize for all these difficulties. This is how you know, there we go. This is how you know when things are just going to be rough is when you wake up and nothing works and all the cables are gone. And welcome to church planning. We're still on an issue here. I'm just going to cut it off and deal with it. Um, but sometimes that's how church church planning life works, and that's how life works. And uh, we're a church about honesty and about transparency. And you know, sometimes you wake up and the day's not easy, right? Anybody been there before? Yeah. You wake up and things don't always work out just the way you should. You ask questions and you wonder, and you go, "Well, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this, or maybe I'm just not listening, or maybe God is mad at me." All of those things happen, right? We've all, I think, probably been there or felt like that was happening before. And I wonder if that's not the exact heart Jonah had when he woke up in the belly of a whale. And I, also, I want to commend Riley Taylor spoke last week. Nick, can we just give it up for Riley? You were here. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of y'all don't know, that was his, maybe he said it, I don't remember him saying that when he spoke, but that was his very first time ever preaching. Um, I told him, uh, the first time I spoke, first time I ever preached was in front of like 65 middle schoolers, and I said the word um 63 times. <laughs> Right? Like a youth pastor actually counted because I was in an internship and he counted. He's like, well, you said um 63 times. I said, well, that's not ideal. Not what you want. But Riley came up and uh, worked really hard and was very vulnerable and honest and transparent. And uh, I think it, it showed in just his uh, his sermon, his ability to love you guys. But, uh, but that being said, sometimes you wake up and you feel like you're in that belly, right? Like things are just rough. Right? Y'all with me? You've seen some incredible vulnerability even today. You've seen Chris get up and share his heart where he's hurting. We've talked about orphans. We've talked about when you have nothing else to lean on. 
depending on other people or God moving in someone's heart. And I think what we've done is a lot of times in churches, we've decided that maybe we have to be really pretty and have everything together so that people will want to come and actually enjoy themselves and feel encouraged. But I think sometimes encouragement can come from just knowing and seeing someone else in a vulnerable state, in, in an honest place. And you can relate with that and you can go, man, I, I've walked that path. I've been there before. And so today, we're actually going to talk about some of that, about what it means to have a second chance. About what it means when, when you think God is done with you, that maybe he actually isn't. That he gives hope and he gives redemption. Even while we're in this proverbial belly, whatever that might be, whatever that looks like. We started Jonah a couple weeks ago. We talked about Jonah receiving this call that nobody really wants, right? Like, it actually says Jonah hated the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians. They were enemies. Like, he was not a fan of that. And here's God telling him to go and love those people. He calls him. He says, go and proclaim my truth to them. And famously, Jonah does what? He turns and runs, right? We spoke a little bit about it. Jonah actually didn't just say no. Jonah literally went and pointed himself the opposite way of where God called him to, sold everything, got in a boat, and went as far away as he could from God's call. Ran. Didn't just run. Ran with everything he had. Imagine selling everything you have just to get out of something. You ever done that? Like, listen, I, I got nervous when I was a teenager, and I called, and like, I don't want to go to work, and so I'd sound really sick. You guys ever done that? Oh, I can't come to work today. So when I was, I was 19, I knew Jesus, so this is just a moment of repentance. All right, here it is, vulnerability. I was waiting tables at Macaroni Grill with my girlfriend, now wife. Worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> and she was off on a random Friday night. And I was like, well, I want to be off on a Friday night. That sounds awesome. All right, so I called, gave the gravelly voice. I can't, can't come in. Too sick. And I knew what any good 19-year-old would do. I went to Frankie's Fun Park with my girlfriend. <laughs> right? Here's what I didn't know. One of my managers, who I called, who was working the day shift, to tell that I wasn't there, also was at Frankie's Fun Park that night with her children. And so I got in the next day, Saturday, and she was there. She said, hey, you must be feeling better. And I did one of those where you get called. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good, I'm good. Way, way better, you know, it's real sick. Real sick. I just the, the jump, the crud. She's like, yeah, well, you must have really started feeling better, uh, what, about 5.30 or so. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was probably about the time to go back to my diary and see. It's probably about maybe 5.40, a few minutes after. She goes, yeah, yeah, you looked like you weren't feeling too well uh, flying around the uh, go-kart track there. And I said, well, this isn't going to go well tonight, is it? She looked at me. She said, you know what? I'm going to give you this opportunity. If you ever do that again, you're fired. That's the closest I've ever come to being fired, right? I was like, all right, well, let me tell you, all, I worked my butt off that night. I was the most, who, who else worked in food service? Anybody? Yeah. I was the most helpful person, right? I had my section. I was cleaning other sections. There was food to be run. I was like, hey, you go get your drinks. I got this. Smile with the service. It's the best night I ever had. Because I had this second chance. And, you know, getting fired from waiting tables and macaroni grill, like, there's other restaurants around. 
Restaurants are kind of like churches in Greenville, South Carolina. They're everywhere. <laughs> but there was some connection there. I didn't want to lose, you know, this connection that I had with my girlfriend who I wanted to date and continue to date and get married. My brother worked there. My younger brother worked there. I didn't want to lose those relationships. There was value there. And so I did everything I could to make I did not want to screw up that second chance. Now, that's a kind of a microcosm of, I think, what we see in our world every day. You know, we talk about or we see people who... Um, are living their lives crazy, right? Doing whatever they want, they get into a real bad car wreck, and they go, wow, that was it, and they wake up. They have that spiritual epiphany where things matter all of a sudden, where perspective happens, right? And we, we ask them, like, what turned? Like, what changed me? Like, well, I almost died in a car wreck, and I realized drugs probably aren't the way I want to spend my time. You're going, does it have to be that heinous? Like, do we have to get to a point where we are so stubborn that God has to just smack us down and then we relent and finally go, oh yeah, no, I'll be better this time. And we work really hard and try to be better. Is that what it always has to take? We hear a lot of stories about being scared straight, right? Horrible things happening, our lives changing. I was actually uh, studying through some of this stuff and I came across this guy and you may have heard his name. I'm going to say it. Okay, this is how he's known. So this is not like Sean being weird. Known as General Butt Naked. That's real. That's real. I know. I know what you're thinking. This guy was a warlord in Liberia in the, the 90s. And he was called General Butt Naked because he would go with a machete wearing only boots through towns and just slaughter people. That's how he got his name. He was a terrifying person. And they asked him later why he did that. And he said because he felt like he was invincible and he didn't need anything. Like crazy, crazy guy. He was responsible for somewhere like 200,000 people dying in these wars in Liberia. His name's Joshua Lahi. He, he was famous for uh, creating child soldiers, for using them to rip through villages, because Liberia was this place where it was total anarchy. And eventually, if you were high enough on the food chain, no one could do anything to hold you accountable anyways. So it was literally kill or be killed. And as this, this general was walking through and tearing Liberia apart, murdering and killing and, and being totally gruesome in stories I don't want to share here, you can go look it up. There was a young pastor who, in a group with 12 other pastors in Liberia, decided that they needed to go out. And the only hope for this war-torn country was to go to the leaders of these groups and tell them about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the only thing I can compare that to is probably like the ISIS kind of movement out in the Middle East, right? The current war that we've been fighting for a decade. I think that if God called me and said, I want you to go hang out with ISIS and tell them about Jesus, that I'm also going to sell everything I have and run the other way, right? Like, I don't know that I'm in for that. And, and that's honestly the level that we're dealing with, maybe even greater. These pastors would go into these dens where these horrible, horrific, evil men were, and they would share the gospel with them. And so this young pastor went, got into the tent with this general, and shared the gospel. And he told him, listen, the life that you live right now is not the best life. It's not what God has for you. And he said, I want you to say this prayer with me. And the story goes that he kept his eyes open, but prayed a prayer of redemption. 
And to show how redemptive his heart was, after the pastor left unscathed, he went to his bodyguard and shot him in both knees for letting a pastor in his tent. And the pastor came back. Because that was his call. And the pastor went in and he said, hey, you made this conversation. We started, we prayed. Tell me about how, life, how God is changing your life. And they prayed again and he witnessed to him again and it stuck and the Lord saved him. And the general became a pastor. And he has spent the last 22 years of his life finding as many victims and families that he tortured and murdered and destroyed and asking for forgiveness and preaching the gospel of Jesus. And here's the craziest part of this whole thing. They were doing an interview, I think it was with Time Magazine, um, is uh, the original writing writer of the story here. And they said, well, so a, a man like you who has lived in no fear said, what are you actually afraid of? And this was his statement. It was amazing. I, I literally sat... You ever had that moment where you're reading a book or you're reading something on the internet and you stop and just stare at it because it's so just whoa, like hits you here. You guys been there? Am I the only one? Four of us. Okay, good. That seems to be the number that we stay at. Four, but it's okay. Four of you. This is what he said. He said, my greatest fear is that I will meet the Lord tomorrow and he will say, Joshua, you have wasted the second opportunity that I've given you. I stared at that. I was just, I couldn't believe that statement. Here's a warlord, redeemed, going, walking village to village, asking forgiveness of every single person he sees, being sold out, living for the gospel. And his greatest fear is that God is going to look at him and God gave you a second chance and you screwed it up. You didn't use it. You didn't act redeemed. Now, I know none of us have achieve that level of sin. I don't know if achieve is the right word, but live that level of sin, I hope. Again, if you have, we have wonderful people who will counsel you and walk you through that. But please don't tell me about it. Just kidding, you can stop saying We've achieved that level, and, and now we have this opportunity for the second chance, for redemption. And my question is, what would it look like for you and whatever that is in your life to live in that that sense of overwhelming grace. What would it look like for you to forgive in a way that you've never forgiven? What would it look like for you to be forgiven in a way you've never been forgiven? What would it look like for you to live fully in that redemption, that opportunity that God has given you? What would that change? What would it look like if we lived agenda-less? I would love to have a relationship with people, and I, and I do, so... Small group, please don't hear anything different, okay? Because I don't want y'all to yell at me on Thursday. I, I would love living in a relationship with people who don't have an agenda, who don't want something from me, and who know all I want from them is, is relationship. It's not about what you can get out of people. It's about how we're called to serve, how we're called to love. What if we live like, what if this church lived like that in this community, fully? Not picking and choosing, but instead living totally open to the idea that God is capable of calling all people to repentance, to forgiving the greatest evil, and that sometimes that means that person who has committed that against you. See, here's what that second chance is, church. It's a, it's a chance of redemption. There's no one who holds you down further than yourself when you're angry, resentful, and frustrated with someone else. In fact, one thing that used to get me so angry 
There's people that I didn't like that hurt me who walked around like they didn't care. There was nothing going on in the world. And I thought, how can they be that free, that non-caring? Like, I want them to hurt the way they hurt me. That's the only way this is fair. But that's not the heart that we are supposed to have. That's not the heart we're called to have. That's not the heart Jonah is called to have as well. And that's where we're going to pop in at Jonah 3. But actually, I want to start at Jonah 4. I'm going to give you a little preview of next week, okay? This doesn't mean don't come next week. It means you get a preview. Because next week's going to be fire. I'm coming hard. This is what Jonah 4, 1 through 2 says. This is his heart for the people he's been called to. I want you to hear this and consider this in your own heart and your own mind. And speaking of God's redemption for the people there, it says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now take away my life. It's better for me to die than live. Because Jonah hated the people he was called to. He said, I knew. I knew this was going to happen. Like, I knew you were going to forgive. I knew you were compassionate. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were going to allow these people to be forgiven. And that's why I ran. And you read that and you're like, Jonah, you were such an idiot. How could you say that? And it's because we have the perspective Jonah didn't have. Because Jonah isn't in our story church, the quicker we realize that that often is our heart toward other people, the quicker we will live in that freedom and redemption instead of anger. Because I know that there are people in here who have been hurt and are still being hurt by people who don't know Jesus or don't care to know or just don't care. We tell them, like, God, why, why would I want you? Like, why should I forgive them? Why should I want you to give me a heart to not be angry at them? And we would almost rather see them be hurt than redeemed. We'd rather our anger have this opportunity to actually fit in people's hearts and to burn against them and for them to feel a little bit of what they did to us or people we love than to see Jesus redeem them. And y'all, if you don't think that's true, I want to welcome you back in time to last Tuesday when elections happen. So against each other that we couldn't even have conversations. That's the heart of where we are right now. I'm not saying that Jonah was living in America, okay? I'm not saying that at all, but, but that's the heart of, of where we of what our nation's at right now. We have drawn hard, hard lines because we're easily quickly um, or easily and quickly offended. And we'd rather live in that than to live in that forgiveness and compassion. And so we see God redeem people. Like, yeah, but you know what they think about gun control? Well, yeah, but you know what they're okay with? Instead of allowing people to get to the heart of the freedom of Jesus and then letting Jesus deal with those things. We're, we're more upset about politics than we are about people not knowing Christ. And this is the same heart Jonah displayed to us. Jonah says, I knew. I knew what you would do. That's why I didn't want to go. I knew that if I went and talked to the people in Nineveh, you would forgive them, because you always do, because you're compassionate and kind. And that's why I went that way. And he even says, try to stall it out, right? Try to slow it down. God, forgive me if I ever have a heart 
where my goal is to slow down the grace of God. Church, if you ever have the heart where your goal is to slow down the grace of God, repent, and I'll be alongside you. That cannot be our heart. So move back into Jonah 3. This is what the word of the Lord says, starting in Jonah 3. I'm going to read the first four verses for us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, finally, and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began, began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's really interesting. Now, this is um, what Jonah was most upset about. He was angry and against this call to be a vessel of God's goodness and his compassion and his grace to these people that he despised. And God does something amazing. God gives his word to Jonah a second time. Jonah has a second chance. Another opportunity. And, and this is hope for you and I. Because I know a lot of times we're good at disqualifying ourselves from the gospel. We're good at disqualifying ourselves from a call. We're good at taking that one step, getting burned, and just going, nope, not doing that ever again. You know what else I'm realizing we're really good at? We're really good at convincing ourselves that God's done with us. And yet, here's God's sovereignty on display in the life of Jonah. He's, get, he's given this second chance. And if you go back and read, actually, in Jonah 1, he says the exact same thing with a little caveat. In Jonah 1, 2, God says to Jonah, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And yet here in verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give to you. See, God didn't change Jonah's call. He just gave him another opportunity to utilize it. And a lot of times we think that if we have the second chance that God's calling us to something totally new, but it's probably not. It might be that God is waking you up and saying, I know you messed up once, but come on, I'm going to pick you up, go do what I originally told you to do. Notice when Jesus sent out the disciples the first time, we don't talk about this enough, right? The first time Jesus sent out the disciples, what happened? Anybody? They failed. They failed miserably. Jesus sends them out two by two. They go out and they're like, Lord, nothing happened. We couldn't call out demons. People weren't answering when we were proclaiming. Like, what, what, what's going on? They failed. And Jesus says, I know. It's because you need more. You're not ready yet. He brings them back. He trains them. And he sends them out again. And then we see what happens in the book of Acts. Because, guys, sometimes God's, or sometimes our failure is an opportunity for God to teach us and remind us of the call he's given to us. And I know it's easy to put the brakes on and sit back and give up and tell yourself you're just going to motor through the next few days. But what I'm encouraging you here this morning with is this. Maybe God isn't done. But don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you. And Jonah does the same thing. Because we think we've missed the boat just as Jonah has. But God gives us the opportunity to come back. But what's tough is this, guys. This is so important. God didn't make it easier the second time. Right? 
he, he'd make it easier. And a lot of times we think, well, if God is in it, it'll be easy, right? I'll just, you know, the Lord will be like, hey, I made this street of gold for you to follow. Well, here, here's $100,000. Go do what you need to do for two years. Figure it out. Like, we think God's just going to line our steps up, and he will, but we think that means they're going to be real easy. Let's talk about what Jonah had to do. Because Jonah took his first step, right? In the original call, Jonah took his step the wrong way. And so this is what happened. Jonah ran. He sold everything. He was in a storm. He was thrown into the storm, almost died, was swallowed by a fish, stayed there for three days, then was vomited and had to walk back to the shore or walk back to the city. And yet we tell ourselves, well, God's call, you know, he's going to make everything real easy for me. He's going to lay it out, and I'm just going to waltz in like, oh, the Lord is so good, doing what he told me. But that's not it. That's not, what, that's not what the Word says. That's not the description. That's not the opportunity. That's not the example that we're given. In fact, it was harder for Jim. Cost him a lot. But this time he gets a little smarter. Verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it, so uh, pretty much like Traveler's Rest. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So imagine this guy has been in the belly of a fish, thrown up, vomited, walked in. He didn't have a change of clothes, right? It doesn't say, like, Jonah took three days to get refreshed. Right? Get some new, new, new strings. New threads. The world's open for it, but I said strings. It's okay. I'm going to say strings now. It's a new thing. Just came up with that. You're welcome to it. Say never made your life better. No, he, he walked in and he gets a day in the city. He's like, here we go. Here we go. Nineveh, 40 days. You got 40 days. God's going to tear you down. He's going to destroy you. Eliminate you. Destroy you. Now, let me, let me tell you something about church planning. It's hard. It's not easy. <coughs> every day, every day it's hard. But I'm not here to tell you my life is hard. I'm here to tell you, let me tell you something about your life. Having jobs is hard. Let me tell you something about being in college. It ain't easy. Every day is a struggle. Some of you to go to bed before 4 a.m. and your life would be better, but that's another conversation. <laughs> we tell being a parent, being a parent's tough. Listen, there are days when I want to quit being a parent, right? I'm like, I can just pass my kids off to my parents and disappear for a week. I'll know they'll be taken care of and fed and just claim I went insane for a few days. Like, yeah, no big deal. My parents laugh at that. Everyone else is like, how could you say such a on Orphan Sunday at that. <laughs> I love my children, don't worry. But sometimes life is hard. And I know some of you guys have been given really rough callings and really hard situations and family dynamics and things that don't always come across easy that you wish if you just didn't have to deal with it, you would love Jesus more, you promise. You would just make your parents a little less crazy. Or your brother a little less crazy. But I know some of you guys have been given really rough callings, but what comes down to is our fear. And our fear is not of God and his call. Our fear is of what's going to happen after we accomplish that or after we pursue that. 
We have a fear of the unknown. We have a fear of our sacrifice, of it, life not being as comfortable. We have a fear of other people's responses. Well, what, what would they think if I do that? If I do what God actually called me, what would it mean for me to take a huge step? Some people might tell you you're crazy. Some people might tell you it's a terrible idea, but here's the good thing about God and his gifts and his calls. Romans 11 says it's irrevocable. His gifting and his calling are irrevocable. That's literally an in-context statement of Romans 11. And if y'all have been here for any amount of time, you know how much I love context. It says it is irrevocable. He doesn't remove it. Like God isn't in heaven just throwing gifts down, hoping you're going to catch the right one to do what it is he's called you to, right? He's created you. He's put things in you. He's manufactured you to be you and to operate in what he has called you to operate in. And it's time to walk. And that might be scary, but guys, it's time to walk. It's time to take those steps. Because you haven't been created and things have dropped in and sprinkled on you. You have been God didn't create you to meander. He created you to fulfill purpose. Now I'm going to have to plot here, but verse 5, this is what happens. I'm going to read verse 5 through. The Ninevites then believed God. A fast was proclaimed by all of them, from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. Here's what it is. Sackcloth was meant to show poverty of heart. The outward display of an inward change, kind of like a weird reverse baptism. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the dust. Notice when Jonah actually delivers the thing that God purposed him to, it is an intense change, immediate. And the king, the high authority, brings himself down and sits in the dirt. As By the decree of the king, I'm sorry, I missed the verse here. Uh, this is the proclamation the king issued in Nineveh. By the decree of king and his nobles, do not let people or animals or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger, but he will not. There's a few interesting points. I have a lot of interesting things here, but I'll fly through this here. There's a few interesting things that happens in this verse. When Jonah was speaking about God, he's calling him the Lord. Yahweh. The covenant God. The God who promises to follow through with exactly what he said. The God whose promises will not fail. And so as Jonah is walking through and talking with God over the first three and a half chapters here, he was referring to the Lord only in those terms of Yahweh. But something changes when Jonah actually goes and begins to share this prophecy with the people of Nineveh. He calls him Yahweh Elohim. And what that means is, is there's, there's two different characteristics of God that we see here. The first is, as we said, a covenant God who follows through in his promises. Elohim is what we could consider God as the creator who's in control, who made all things. Elohim is a word that the Ninevites would have seen and understood because they knew that there was something up there, but they didn't know exactly what it was. And so as Jonah is walking through the city, he is saying, hey, judgment is coming, and it is Yahweh 
Elohim who is going to bring it. It is the covenant God who does not fail. And the one who created all things, who holds all things, who promises all things, and his anger burns against you unless you have repentance. And so Jonah's actual statement is that the God who covenants with the people, who will not fail and controls and creates all things, is offering an opportunity at repentance. A much deeper statement than God's judgment is coming. And this is what we get wrong. We have seen this consistently in church. This is where we have to be different. This is where I beg you, dive in with us and walk because we have to be different because we have to put out this understanding of who God is to the city and to the people who think he's just his creator. And he doesn't care. And he's absent. The God that we proclaim to these people is that he is Yahweh Elohim. He's a covenant God who loves them, who will not fail them, who controls all things, and has offered them this opportunity for repentance. It is not a God who burns in anger and resentment against them and desires their disgusting brokenness to come and burn in hell eternally. That is not, not what this church is about. It's about a God who has covenant love. He says, in that covenant, I will not fail you, for I control all things. And so when the people of Nineveh hear this, they hear is that God, who is the creator of all things, who is a covenant God, offers redemption. They would humble themselves and trust in God. In verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. He did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, his promises isn't that God changed his heart? It's instead that God covenanted and creates and controls and cares. And in that control and in that care and in that covenant, he led the people to do exactly what he desired, which is repentance and humility and grace. Because he is a God who covenants with us. He is a God who promises to go before you. He is a God who's promised to be your sacrifice who's promised to take your place. He is a God who has promised to create a place for you in church. That is the hope that we have. That is what our calling is. And so whatever God is asking you and pursuing you and purposing in you to do that, you're taking a step back and you're going, I don't know if I'm ready for it. Remind yourself it is God who is Yahweh Elohim, who is after your heart, who loves you and cares for you, has purpose in you. Show his care and concern for you. But there is a response that must be made in church. It is to dive in at our second chance. For you and for others. And listen, I know some of you have been aggressed. I get it. I know that doesn't really feel well. It's not fun. But I talk about it so often because I believe in it fully. That our response at a second chance should not limit our purpose and our calling. Our response in who God calls us to forgive, whether that's someone else or yourself. Our response in our purpose of what God's called you to be. That none of those things fail, but we have to take the opportunity at the second chance to do what it is he's called us to. Who knows? God may turn and relent. Just in the way he does for Nineveh. He may look at you and, and, and forgive. I don't know how to say he may, he will. Because his word says he will. Because he's Yahweh. He's a covenant God. Because he follows through in his promise. 
because his intention is for redemption. It is not to be an emotional person sitting on the throne, neurotic and scared. It is to bring us to a place of humility and hope. His intention is for redemption. His intention is for purpose and for you realizing it and following it. His intention is for your fulfillment. So if you've been called, the question is this, what are you waiting for? See, we have to stop putting limits on people. We're not all going to agree about everything. If you're looking for a church, you're going to agree with everything that happens every time by, I'm just going to say by, because it'll be now, or it'll be three weeks from now, it'll be two months from now, because it doesn't exist. But we have to offer a place of grace for people to have need. We're not always going to agree on everything. If you want people to demonstrate an obvious change and then you'll offer them forgiveness and grace and repentance, if you think God can only operate in a place once they've fixed everything else, once the trash and laundry is picked up and the house is presented perfectly, I've got news for you. It doesn't exist. You're never going to get to that point. But if we start seeing people as God sees them, as people who need repentance, who need grace, have our expectations that, that God is working in them and so we can allow them that opportunity, then we'll see change. See, too often I think we ask for forgiveness for people, we want forgiveness for people and expect them to change everything first. It's not how it works. But instead, if we can do as the king and end of it did, humble our hearts, Realize our actual place, which is a place of humility and need. And if we can repent of our own selfishness and pride, God will do amazing things. So, you've been given a second chance. I'm begging. out of place of repentance, then what are you toiling in the offer is for today? And we have opportunities to be like Jonah and be angry at the sun for burning. We have a heart of the Lord, which is to trust him as Yahweh, as a covenant God of promise. Trust him as Elohim, a God who controls everything and created everything you and cares for you. I know that he is good. He's watching out for you. He is caring for you. He loves you. He has called you to purpose and fulfillment and redemption. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you that you are. Even in, even in your awareness of our sin, moments where I know I display the heart of Jonah. Lord, I wish that you would allow me to get even. Where people who hurt me would hurt 
Lord, my heart is that you would get me even. Lord, I thank you for stories like Jonah that remind us that you are watching out for us. That you are a covenant God who loves us and who sacrificed himself and who stands in the gap for us. And Lord, if, if we are offered that grace, then who are we to take it away from someone else? Lord, your word says that there's nothing that can separate us. Nothing in this world, nothing out of this world, nothing under the earth, nothing above it that can separate us from your love. And Father, we read that sometimes and we think of that personally, which we should, but also forget that it's for other people as well, even those who have hurt us, even those that we have deemed aren't capable of that forgiveness, aren't deserving of that forgiveness. But Lord, you don't offer that with conditions outside of our repentance and our humility. And so, Father, I pray that our hearts would burn for those who love us, those who have hurt us. I pray that our concern would grow for those who have harmed us, who have brought evil to our families, who have hurt our children, our parents, our wives and our husbands, that we would not be quick to anger, but we would be quick to pray, quick to seek you and quick to trust you. are exactly who you say you are, that you are Yahweh, that you are Elohim, that you have not forgiven us without giving us a heart of hope, but instead that you operate in grace and that you ask us to do the same. So Father, I pray that as we worship now, as we close, that our hearts would be focused on you, who you are and what you've done, knowing that in all things. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's message and that you feel so encouraged by who God is and who he thinks and knows you are as well. If you have any questions about our church or our ministry, you can check us out at trailside.church. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have an incredible, incredible day.